It is the 200 level episode 143, Basking in the Glow. Mike Carpenter here on a Thursday evening, not the normal time we would do a podcast, but between Tuesday and Saturday, Duke and Missouri wanted to get a short one out there. Maybe we'll go 30, 40 minutes, maybe longer. You know that this podcast never quite goes according to time. That's the beautiful thing about podcasting instead of radio. We can go as long or short as we want, but Tuesday night, what a night. And you can go back and listen to the play-by-play second half podcast. But the one thing that those have an absence of, it's great to listen back the next day after a win, especially, or even after a tough loss if it's cathartic for some people. But the reaction after the game, I don't want to say it was lacking. You could tell that me and Trevor and Isaac were trying to think, how do we frame this? We were still kind of shell-shocked, the fact that Illinois just went into Duke and had a commanding performance from the tip. 15-point win, and they were leading by double digits essentially the entire way. So trying to process that in the moment, I didn't get to sleep until well after midnight, probably about 12.30. And then Wednesday was one of those feelings that baseball fans especially can attest to. I guess some hockey fans, because hockey playoff games can go really late. But that feeling when you stay up late for a game, and you wake up the next day running on fumes, but you are just happy slap happy, right? You had a triumph the night before. doesn't matter that you're yawning every half hour. You feel good. And not to mention, it was a beautiful Wednesday in Champaign-Urbana, 55 degrees and sunny. It felt like October. Illinois had just gotten a huge win and they were the talk of, you know, national college basketball podcast. Brad Underwood's getting national interviews now on the regular and thinking, okay, talk about arriving. We all last season were excited because it felt like Illinois was arriving back on the national stage, but that took quite a long ways, all the way until February, when people, I think, nationally started to pay attention. And here we are from the outset of this very weird season, no doubt, but you are getting the attention and the plaudits of all these different pundits. Plaudits from pundits. How about that? Even LaFonso Ellis, who was just annoying as all get out and for some inexplicable reason is always smiling. Even he had many nice things to say about Illinois. Jay Billis watching that game back on Wednesday afternoon, same thing. Very impressed with Illinois. And it's nice to be fond over. It's nice to have these people talk about, man, isn't it great to have Illinois back? And they were last year because it was a kind of cute story. But now that you got Io and Kofi back and the entire gang is back together for one more run, From the beginning of the year, we get to experience something that we haven't in a long time, and that is a season coming into it with high expectations and a team that I think will live up to them. And that was what I said before the season. The Baylor game, I think, humbled us. But then you realize, well, wait a second. Baylor might just be really, really, really good. And whether or not this Illinois team wins a national title, hey, listen, (laughs) you cannot go into a single elimination tournament saying, you guys must do this, otherwise the season is a failure. You know what I'd be happy with? Big 10 title, of course, that would be amazing in this Big 10. Make the second weekend of the tournament. And then you look back at this Duke game. And in the context of a successful season, it becomes all the more memorable. It becomes all the more meaningful when you look back as, oh man, remember that night in December when Illinois showed up at Cameron Indoor, kicked their ass, and that was really a sign of things to come. Here's hoping, right? With the Missouri game on Saturday night, a matchup that is not great if you look at the last two years of the Bragg and Rights game, but one that if you are, in fact, as good as you look Tuesday and as good as this team thinks they can be, you win that game Saturday. I'm going to enter it with this weird calm, I think. Of course, I want to beat the pants off Missouri. Of course, I want Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith humbled by the end of that game. But I'm going to have some faith in this Illinois team. 
that they understand what needs to be done, that they will show up and they will get it done. And in a way, I like the fact that it's a road game in Missouri, this business trip idea. They took that into Cameron Indoor. They showed up and from the tip, they were ready to go. You might be asking, well, why didn't they do the same against Baylor? I think they did. I think they came out ready to go, if not a little bit tight against Baylor. I know Brad Underwood said that there might have been some anxiety there, understandably so. But there's a reason that Illinois was out of sorts in that game. Baylor. Baylor was the biggest reason why Illinois was out of sorts. The mistakes that you made against Duke, you hope to correct those. And if you do, oh my gosh, this is a very dangerous team because offensively, everyone is clicking at a pretty high level and then defensively disruptive. And you put that together against a Missouri team that you are just simply more talented than, and you should have the chip on your shoulder from the last two meetings. Just go in there and take care of business. Doesn't need to be fancy. Doesn't need to be a good old-fashioned ass-whooping. It could be a five-point win. Hell, it could be a one-point win in Missouri. But I have faith that this team will get it done because of what happened Tuesday night, because of a leader like Io, because of DeMonte Williams. We're going to be singing the praises of DeMonte all year long. The supporting cast, the emergence of Andre Crabello, all of that we're going to get to, along with the historical context of winning at Duke and other great non-conference Illini memories that I have in my back pocket. You know, They are there, these fond memories, and I can fall back on them whenever I need to to feel good about Illini basketball. We just had one of those on Tuesday night. And that is a rare thing and one to cherish. So let's get to that. We'll get to Illini football at the end of it. I'll save you the misery before Saturday's game against our rival up north, which Lubby, he says he wants to beat them. You wouldn't know it from the efforts against Northwestern the last few years, but they say they want to beat them. And I don't know if I want them to. I'm just going to be very brutally frank with you. And if I lose my Illini football fan card, then so be it. But I don't, you know, I'm going to save that for the end of the podcast. All right. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And before I do, let me remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at DPDO.com. $5 Cal zones. If you use coupon code, Mike, $6 premium and construction zones with coupon code, Mike, best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So as you're settling in Saturday night, trying to find where the hell the SEC network alternate channel is. Call DP Dell, let them bring a piping hot calzone to your door just in time for the Bragging Rights game when you finally find an illegal stream on Reddit. Well, that might be a little bit elaborate of a plan, but regardless of how you're watching the game Saturday, DP Dell calzones, they are delicious. And uh, you can use, again, coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdo.com. That's a ridiculous deal as someone that had many a calzone back in college. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. No coupon code there. You don't need it because you got State Farm prices. We work with Brian on our auto and homeowners uh, insurance, and it was a very seamless process, one that you want to trust the experts. We knew Brian long before we actually started working with him, but the process was even better than we could have imagined. So go to brianismyguy.com. Brian and his staff, they'll hook you up with great prices and amazing service at brianismyguy.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Plenty of people on Twitter were talking about their 4th and Kirby lucky shirts. I had mine on for the Illinois Duke game. Orange t-shirt, blue Illinois script font, just like those jerseys that they wore last year, and hopefully they were again this year. And that is my good luck t-shirt. It was at the Iowa game in March. It was on Tuesday night against Duke. I'll be wearing it Saturday 
to bring that mojo for the Bragg and Rights game. Get your lucky shirt or sweatshirt at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. That's coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off at fourthandkirby.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level, 143 episodes in. Can you believe it? We are now 107 episodes since we relaunched just over a year ago, I guess 15 months ago. Averaging two to three episodes per week, especially during basketball season. And as you are listening to all this content, we're just going to keep churning it out there for you as Big Ten basketball starts on Wednesday for Illinois. Isn't that crazy? I think next Wednesday, Illinois, Minnesota. We'll be here every step of the way. Post-game podcast, solo podcast, middle of the week, uh, when I've had more time to kind of process what we've seen. But if you want to help us out, Word of mouth is great. Let your Illini fans in your life know about our podcast, but also you can rate and review us at Apple Podcast. Would be a huge help. And whether it be a four or five or even one star review, the more reviews we get, the higher we are when people search Illini. So that's a big help at Apple Podcast. And yeah, drop us a line. We love to read your feedback. You can also follow me, of course, on Twitter at Fanboy Carp. We'd love to converse with you. All right, so let's go back to Tuesday night. And I want to start with the historical context of a win like that. As I was telling Trevor and Isaac on Tuesday night, very brief story, but back in 1995, pretty sure that Duke game was on a Saturday night at Cameron Indoor. ESPN national coverage, it was Lou Henson's last year, though we did not know it at the time. Kawan Garris, a great game. Kawan Garris might be right up there with Corey Bradford as my favorite. Can't really say unsung hero, but with Kawan in particular, it feels like if someone else should have their jersey in the rafters, it would be Kawan Garris. Four years, unbelievably consistent, all Big Ten talent. Jerry Hester was on that team as well. Bryant Notry, who had a dunk late in that game. So the Saturday night, we have this neighborhood crew where on Fridays and sometimes Saturdays as well, the parents would all get together. They'd have happy hour. They'd choose someplace to go to eat. Sometimes the kids would go with. Sometimes the kids would stay back and watch a movie or something. But we all gathered at our neighbors, the McCartneys, on the Saturday night. And it was surreal to see Illinois. And at the time, listen, Duke, their reputation is still strong in 2020. Don't be fooled by what you saw Tuesday night. It's still Duke. But in 1995, the memories of those early 90s Duke teams were fresh. And there was this level of invincibility that that program had coming into that game where you thought, well, what the heck? Let's see what happens. But you certainly did not anticipate a win. It was shocking. And it made you think, oh, my God, this is a really good Illinois team. One that unfortunately did not live up to the promise of what you saw early in that season. But nonetheless, that night was still very special to be the first non-conference opponent to win on that court in hundreds of games, or well over 100 at least. And there's this fondness that I can look back on, even though the game itself is fuzzy. They had a clip that was circulating from the Illinois basketball Twitter account earlier this week, and all of it was relatively fresh to me because I didn't remember individual plays apart from the no tree dunk late. The next day, we went to the old donut shop, and any Champaign-Urbana resident, it's still the old donut shop, I think on Neal Street. They got a little place now. But it used to be at the corner of Lincoln and University, and it was this old, kind of grimy building next to what is now a Dairy Queen, and where it's at right now is this U of I building with Einstein bagels on the corner, or Einstein Brothers bagels. So we'd go there every Sunday morning. We'd go right after church. I'd get my white long, long John donut, actually two of them, I think. My parents were very generous with that. And as we're there having our donut, and my dad having his coffee, and I'm having my little, what, you know, carton of 2% milk. Scott Nagy, the assistant coach, was there as well. 
And as we're leaving, you know, my dad says, Hey coach, great game. And you know, us kids were waving like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Even, even being the assistant coach for Illinois basketball back then, Lou Henson era, there was something like, wow, these guys are rock stars, which might sound kind of ridiculous, but when you're a kid, it's still a little bit of starstruck quality. When you see someone that 12 hours before you had seen their face on ESPN as they were beating Duke at Cameron indoor. So as we went into Tuesday night, I had that little tinge of nostalgia going, but I also had the other games against Duke that were in the back of my mind, none of which had really went well. You lost against Duke, I think it was Greensboro, in Bill Self's first year. By one or two, I mean, it was a one-possession game. I think he had a final shot that just didn't go in. You lost to them in 2007 with Bruce Weber. Was it, was it Maui, I think, when we had Rodney Alexander? As one of our JUCO transfers. I don't even know. That's where the Bruce Weber era turns into a muddled mess. And then you also have the first ever United Center game, Illinois and Duke. And that would have been Cherokee Parks, I think, on that Duke team. Maybe, gosh, would Woj at guard have been there and maybe the Jeff Capel? But regardless, it hadn't gone well apart from that game at Cameron. Heck, the biggest one of all. How could I forget this? Bruce Weber's first year when you played Duke in the Sweet 16. Chris Duhon has a bruised rib. And, oh, yeah, the pundits were plotting him. Can you say plotting? Whatever they were doing, they were basically kissing his ass for playing with a broken rib, even though we don't know how painful it was or was not, but that's beside the point. Duke tends to beat Illinois. That's just what it is. Even the great Illinois teams, when they've had the opportunity to play against Duke, it has not gone well. So with that in mind, Tuesday night, I felt like, okay, a bounce back is in order. And if it doesn't happen, I will certainly be disappointed. You were the veteran team. You have more talent. And I didn't even have to worry about that because by the first media timeout, you're up 14 to 2. Now, the jitters that I experienced during that game were the Alani fan of me that's waiting for the other shoe to drop, that was waiting for this great start to just gradually be chipped away. And then we're watching in the second half thinking, oh my God, we were leading this game by 12 and I know it was early, but how is this happening? That never came. The closest it came was eight points. Remarkable, because every time they got within eight, you punch back. Key moment of the game, we talked about this on the podcast, even though it was in the first half, was about five minutes to go, five, four minutes to go in the first half. It got within eight. You get an IO 15-footer, and then the next possession, he feeds Trent for a three. You're back up by 13, and you immediately stem the tide. And Illinois did that all game long, which is the sign of a really good veteran team. When they got punched, they punched back harder. And they did more than keep Duke at arm's length. Keeping them at arm's length would have been feeling like, I think, more of a sense that, okay, our lead is tenuous. I didn't get that sense, and then we will. And that was a crazy feeling. That's why on Tuesday night, the second half ends, and we're doing the post-game thing. We spend about two minutes talking, what's the title of this thing going to be? We didn't know how to frame this thing. And here's how you frame it. You won at Duke. However good this Duke team is or is not, as the year goes on, you won at Cameron Indoor when you were an Illinois team with high expectations. And there have been great Illinois teams, Bill Sell's first year, Bruce Weber's first year, that lost to Duke. And that's just kind of the order of the college basketball world. But no, you didn't fall into that narrative. You went in there and you were just the better team from tip. And it wasn't close. That's the thing. I mean, if we were jittery, and I was for a little bit, if we were nervous, it was just because we dreaded the feeling of losing a big lead to this Duke team. Because they didn't look that good. And we looked really good. But you didn't have to worry about that, right? We didn't have to get to the under eight timeout or the under four timeout thinking, well, is this game really in doubt? Because it wasn't. What a beautiful feeling, right? There are going to be other big wins. 
conference wins for Illinois over their program's history going forward, and hopefully plenty big wins for Brad Underwood, non-conference or otherwise. But there will be something special about this in the way that you just dismantled Duke. If I go back to other non-conference games that I can think of that stay with me, I'll go to the Arizona game at the United Center in 2000. This is Bill Self's first year again, and that, my God, that was a season loaded with big wins. But that one was one of the best performances from the team that year, and Arizona played a great game as well. It was just high-level basketball from the outset. That was when Lucas Johnson got in Lou Olson's head for the first time. That game, the Seton Hall game, which I think was a week or two before where you were god-awful in the first half. He got it to overtime. Corey continued his three-point streak in overtime, had not hit one in regulation. Those non-conference games stick out to me. There was a win against Kansas with one of Lon Kruger's teams, and that might have actually been Lon Kruger's last team. There was the Gonzaga win in John Gross's first year, completely unexpected, and you went in there and you won by, I think, eight or nine points at Gonzaga, a win that helped keep you well away from the bubble, even when you had, what was it, an eight and 10 record in the Big Ten. There was no question because he had a win like Gonzaga in your back pocket. Let's think of other non-conference wins that were really big. I mean, the 0405 team, Gonzaga and Wake Forest, of course. The Wake Forest game where you just dismantled them from the start. Kind of like this Duke game and different stakes. You know, you were not playing for number one against Duke. And this Duke team is no Wake Forest 0405. Okay, we can probably agree that there's no Chris Paul on this Duke team. But you remember those things. You remember those moments. And it's all the more special when it is against a program that is historically better than you are. I think as Illini fans, we know our place. We know that we're top 15, top 20 program, and that is about where we should be. And occasionally, we should have a really good team, Final Four caliber, and I don't know if that's every 10 years. It seems like it's every 17 years, 89, 2005, I guess 16 after that, 2021. But it seems like that is about where we should be, and we know the Duke is a top five blue blood. Whether this Duke team ends up being great is kind of beside the point. I couldn't tell you if that Kansas team that Illinois beat in Lon Kruger's final season at the United Center, I couldn't tell you how good that Kansas team was at the end of the year. I look at some of the Bragging Rights games. I couldn't always tell you how great some of those Missouri teams were at the end of the year, but I remember the win. And this Duke team, how good they are or are not, is going to be secondary to the fact that we saw early in the season, number six in the nation versus number 10, Vegas had Duke as the favorites. Ken Palm had Duke as the favorites. And even though we all felt like, wait a second, I think we're better, we still had to prove it. And we did. We didn't step in mud, right? We didn't get in our own way. In fact, we did the opposite. We played a B-plus game. And that's the other thing about this whole experience on Tuesday night was feeling like you didn't even play your best game. I don't know what that best game looks like because we haven't seen it yet, right? But we're going to know it when we see it. When this offense stops turning the ball over at a high rate, you know that they can score from a variety of places on the floor and a variety of different options. You take the turnovers away, and all of a sudden, we're beating Duke by 25 freaking points. Starting the first half, you got it by 19, or second half, excuse me. You got it by 19. Now, they went on a 9 nothing run from that point, then you punch back. Good thing you built that lead to 19, but I feel like, man, if we were to do this again, Duke is going to get better, right? Duke's going to get better. I think we're going to get better, too. So this idea that in March, well, you don't want any part of Duke in March. No, I don't want any part of Illinois if I'm Duke. Most teams, I don't want any part of Illinois. It is weird to be in this position of being the hunted, right? Last year, Illinois was the hunter. 
They were the underdog. People didn't expect Illinois to finish fourth in the Big Ten. They thought maybe a bubble team. And it took really until late February or even that win against Indiana for Illinois fans to accept, yes, this is a tournament team. Of course, they had to go out and do it. But I guarantee you, Illini fans were a lot more nervous than guys at the Big Ten Network that are casual observers of basketball. They knew that that Illinois team was better than we probably wanted to admit to ourselves. So it's this weird kind of mind game as an Illini fan where now I'm almost blatantly, deliberately taking the approach that yes, we are good. Yes, we are top five quality. After the Baylor game, of course, that was in question. But after the Duke game, talk about overreaction Thursday here. But after the Duke game, I'm thinking, well, wait a second. This is a flawed team. We knew that. But maybe it's just the Baylor and Gonzaga are that good. And that other than that, you will not play a defense as disruptive as Baylor, meaning that this offense for Illinois is going to be really good for much of the season. They'll have their off nights, but for the most part, I'll, I'll run with this offense. And that the defense will only get better, especially as these younger guys figure out the system, know where to be. Andre Crubello, that athleticism, you know he's going to turn into a terrific defender. It's just probably not there yet. But I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to play Illinois if I'm another team in February or March. That's a great position to be in. And here we are in early December already playing pretty decent ball apart from kind of a lethargic performance against Ohio, even though maybe they're maybe they're better than we thought. And then Baylor just being Baylor. That leads into Saturday night in what is a big game. Of course, duh, bragging rights. It's always a big game. It's a big game emotionally. I think as Illini fans, you want to f- finally exercise those demons of Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman. And listen, I'm taking Iowa and Kofi over those two guys, even if you lose on Saturday night. Like, there's something to take solace in the fact of, yes, I would absolutely hate losing to this Missouri team, but I still know that we got the better shot to win a conference title, to make a deep tournament run. And if you take the name off the jersey and you take the Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith situations out of it, whatever. It would be a disappointing loss, but it shouldn't logically bother you more than let's say a loss at Minnesota or something but emotionally that's different than logical right emotionally speaking it would suck so when we look at Saturday night's game mentally I think it would say a lot about this team if they go in and just take care of business doesn't need to be pretty but just go in there just like you will the other Big Ten arenas with no fans by the way I love that I don't think Duke's Cameron crazies would have made a difference in the outcome it would have been closer but I love the idea that this Illinois team just to, gets to go play in basketball gyms, line up five on five, and then may the best team win. And when you take those external variables out of it and just let the teams play, I'll take, I'll take my chances on Saturday night in Columbia, Missouri. Stupid coin flip. But then again, do I wish it was here? No, I kind of like the fact it's on the road. I like the fact that this team has to get their mind right. They need to go on a business trip, get on a plane, go down for the short trip to Columbia, take care of business, get the late flight home, and bring that damn trophy back. Io has not done that yet. Trent Frazier did his freshman year with the help of Mark Smith, who, if I recall, was decent in that first bragging rights game. So yeah, logically, it shouldn't be a loss that would bother you all that much because Missouri, losing on the road to them is not going to kill you in the net rankings or anything. But emotionally, that's where it comes into play. So what is the emotional maturity of this team? I think we found out on Tuesday night that it's pretty high. That was a game that they could have been overly amped up for. And instead, they were just the right amount of amped up. They were focused, but they weren't frenetic. Apart from Andre Crabello, and he's just going to be a frenetic guy. He's the human turbo button. 
and I love it, but for the most part, that Illinois team, especially in that opening stretch, that starting five for Illinois, man, seasoned veterans, DeMonte, just the the body language that he had. There was this clip of him coming back after I think he hit his three, and he's tugging on his jersey, almost D. Brown style, saying, let's go, getting his guys' minds right. I love DeMonte, by the way. I'm going to be saying that probably every podcast. It's crazy to think about how a year ago we're thinking, what does DeMonte do exactly? Because if you take the offensive production out of it, all those glue things, the intangible qualities, they don't seem as cute, right? But when he's hitting about 66% from three, I don't know if that's hyperbole or not. I'd have to check, but it feels like it, right? And he's become a viable offensive option. My goodness, the guy's playing great. I hope he comes back next year. I hope he does that extra year thing because I don't know if he's really a European pro or anything like that. Why not come back, get a master's degree in something, and become even more of a legend? Because this guy, he's got a legend growing about him. DeMonte Williams, we're going to be talking. If this team accomplishes things, and I think they will, we're going to be talking about DeMonte with the same sort of you know, wide-eyed nostalgia that we do past guys like uh, Lucas Johnson might, might be a fair comparison. I think he got some starts back in the day. Never the most productive guy, but you needed him on that team. The heart and soul of the Illini. I know that sounds kind of like meatball fan thing, but if you think about it, DeMonte kind of is. And you add in the legacy part, the fact that his dad is Frank, and Frank was my guy growing up. I mean, come on. I'm loving this. It is As a 34-year-old, it's like, <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid. It's like, Way to go, DeMonte. You know, this weird sort of like, not fatherly, but parental thing of, oh, I always knew you could do it because you grew up knowing his dad could do it. And you were so excited when that commitment happened back in, what, 2015, and hoping that he could carve his own niche in Illinois. And he has. Talk about a shadow to play under. Your dad's shadow, Frank Williams, got his jersey in the rafters, and DeMonte is forging his own path and becoming a huge part of this team and in the process a huge part of this program as it tries to turn its fortunes around for the long term all right that was quite the spiel on demonte i probably sound totally fangirly about that but you know what he's playing so damn well that it's hard not to get excited but yeah you look at this team the emotional maturity that they showed on tuesday night i think it translates to saturday i think it's a game where they're going to be ready and they're going to want to win and they're going to be amped up, but not too amped up. And this is where Io, I was tweeting this towards the end of the first half and even saying it in the podcast. And I listened to it and I thought, Carp, you clearly are not an astute basketball observer like others are. I was too keyed in on production, you know, the box score. And I'm seeing with 15 minutes left in the game, well, yeah, he's got, he's got eight. He's, he's doing well. But then you look at the box score at the end and then you match that with all the things he was doing on the court especially defensively, and that he has this aura about him where the rest of the guys know that if it came down to who's going to take the shot, who's going to go win us that game, it's Io. But the fact that he was acting as a facilitator, a defender, a great rebounder, what was it, 11 rebounds, I think on Tuesday night, still got his 18 points. The guy's averaging 22 points a game, I think about eight rebounds a game, and six assists a game. He is in the conversation for National Player of the Year, and Tuesday night only further solidified that. So if it comes down to it on Saturday, you know Iowa's going to be there because there's no one on Missouri that's like any of those guards on Baylor. That Baylor game could bode so huge for this Illinois team. And I've used the analogy before of a batter in the on-deck circle with the donut on the bat, and then you take the donut off, and all of a sudden that bat is light. It is easy to swing that thing. 
you play Baylor and then you play Duke less than a week after that, all of a sudden Duke looks like a pretty mediocre opponent. And yes, Missouri's been playing well. But you play Baylor and then 10 days later you play Missouri? Hey, come on. You should be able to get that done. By the way, all of these on neutral sites or away courts, not even in the comforts of your own home arena. Again, this is all leading up to, I think, what is a perfect storm for Saturday. Two games away from home. The first one against elite competition. The second one against still high-level competition. And now you get down to Missouri. And even though the talent isn't going to be there for Missouri, you know that, at least compared, excuse me, compared to Duke or compared to Baylor, you know that emotionally that Missouri team is going to be in it. So how do we absorb some of those punches? And how do we punch back? How do we land the haymaker against this Missouri team that, man, it'd be great to beat them, right? And you should feel like you should. It'll be interesting to see the spread when it comes out. I would guess Illinois minus three and a half, something like that. Small spread as it should be because it is technically a road game. But this is just one of those games that is another notch in the belt of a really good team. That's what it should be. There have been great Illinois teams. Go back to the 0405 team, and this is apples and oranges. I'm not going to compare this Illinois team to 0405. It wouldn't be fair to this team, and it certainly would not be fair to 0405. That was a better team. It, it just was. But that 0405 team, they beat Missouri in the Bragg and Rights game by, I think, seven. Six or seven points. Linus Kleiza. Remember him? Huge game for Missouri. I think he was a transfer because he was only there a year or two. Had a huge game for the Missouri Tigers. They were not a good Missouri team. This was the Quinn Snyder era. And it was just kind of ugly. But you know what? It ended. You got the win. You move on. You got bigger fish to fry. And it's not as if Illinois played lethargic. But as that game went along, they did what they had to do to win. So this could be a season-defining win for Missouri. It is not probably going to be a season-defining win for Illinois. Shouldn't be. So how as a team do you get your mind right And if not match them emotionally, at least match them possession by possession and execute, right? Maybe stay above the fray. Don't get into that sort of, you know, schoolyard shenanigans with Jeremiah Tillman. Who cares? He didn't commit to Illinois. I I don't, it's whatever. Could have used him a couple years ago, but Kofi, for as inconsistent as he's being, I'll still take Kofi Coburn this year over Jeremiah Tillman. Mark Smith, whatever. He didn't want to be here. It's something, and I don't know if it's a defense mechanism on my part or not, but I've tried to detach a little bit from Missouri and Conzo and not get too wrapped up in it, not let this turn into what the Illinois-Iowa thing would have been in the 90s. And again, I know that was much higher stakes because it really derailed, in essence, Lou Henson's program. But talking more about a rivalry that has an emotional component to it, personnel on the other side that you could actively hate. How am I going to expend energy hating a 22-year-old kid? Because he decided at 18 that, you know what, actually, I don't want to be at Illinois. Fine. I, I don't know. I don't know the person. Mark Smith might be a very fine man. Jeremiah Tillman might be a very fine man. But at the end of the day, for this Illinois team, I just want them to win as many games as possible. So that, that might certainly be me, defense mechanism. Okay, Carp, don't get too pissed off. Don't get angry. Don't throw the controller like you did back, or the remote control like you did back in high school if things didn't go well. That might be me setting myself up for what might be a frustrating game. But I am going to have faith in this Illinois team that they get it done, and they execute, and hopefully we aren't sweating it out too much. There's also the alternative that you just go in there and kick their ass. 
I mean, let's not keep that off the table. You went into Duke and you won by 15. I know this Duke team is young. This Missouri team is old. But talent matters. You kept that Duke talent at bay. You know this Missouri team, and yeah, I get it. They know you too. But I'm just thinking, okay, why not? Bragging rights games on, on occasion. On occasion, you get the blowout. Two years ago, Missouri, they ran away with it in the second half. Last year, they kind of control that game. Can't you just go in there and do what Missouri did to you last year? Get it done. Get it done. Let's hope they do. Because I tell you what's not probably going to happen on Saturdays. You probably are not going to start the day with happy feelings about Illinois football. I don't know if I want to pivot to that just yet. I'm having too much fun talking about basketball. Apathy has set in for football, partially because I just hate that entire stinking program at the moment, but also because Illinois basketball is good. Doesn't that feel familiar? You can go back to many years, 0405. Who cared that Ron Turner went three and eight? You did hire Ron Zook at the beginning of that year, so there's some excitement there. But go back to 0304. Okay, Ron Turner's 03 year. I think they were one and eleven. But hey, no worries. Bruce Weber's first year, this Illinois team, they were pretty damn good. We forgot about football. No problems. I had a great winter. Didn't even think about Ron Turner and what he was or was not doing with Illinois football. So it is a great position to feel a way that I have not felt in probably 15 years, that we have a legitimate Big Ten title contender. Maybe I felt that the senior year for Dimitri, Mike Davis, Mike Tisdale. I think that would have been, gosh, was that Jeremy Richmond's year or was that the year before? Regardless, one of those years, it felt like maybe they could crack it when the Big Ten. Of course, they didn't. Bruce Weber, there you go. Fort Troy State. What was I don't I can't even remember the name of the team that he lost to on Tuesday night. Embarrassing. But yeah, this is familiar, Illini fans. You know, it's like a nice, nice old pair of underwear. It just fits right. Illinois basketball being great, Illinois football just kind of pissing you off to the point of apathy. Here we are. Fine, let's pivot. Let's pivot to Illinois football. Northwestern, that team up north. Are you ready? I'm not. I don't I don't care. It's a contrived rivalry. Of course, I want to beat them. Of course, Northwestern annoys me. But the vitriol that I have for them is tempered by the fact that the games themselves are never really that good to begin with. And also, they tend to kick your butt in football. And also the fact that just Northwestern football, they could win 10, 11 games a year for three or four years in a row, and they're never going to feel like a powerhouse. Because you know the talent discrepancy isn't really there. But you do know this. Pat Fitzgerald, for all the bluster that he has... There was a report on Sunday that he would be the Bears' first target, and I get why some would say, ew, no, but you know what I'm thinking? I get it. Listen, the guy's a good coach. He's not my cup of tea, but he's a good leader of men, as they would say, and maybe that would make sense. Maybe he could actually work at the professional level, or maybe he fails miserably like most coaches with the Bears do, but I digress. Illinois football, Northwestern, thank God it is early, 11 a.m., you get it out of the way. We are not doing a podcast for that because we got bigger fish to fry that night. And I would rather have the ability to just turn the game off in the second half if I need to, kind of like last year when Northwestern won 29 to 10 with their third string quarterback. Well, we had a third string quarterback too. Now, you got your butt kicked by a Northwestern team that could not throw the ball last year. It was one of the worst losses of the Levy Smith era, and that is impressive because that is a long list of bad losses. And you might be sensing here, I mentioned the word apathy, and yet uh, I'm getting the energy up, unlike last Saturday when I didn't have the energy. I was just tired of this stupid football program and the Lovey Smith era. I was bored with it. 
And I hate being bored with a team that I want to root for and feel something, right? I want to feel something, not apathy. So at least I got a little bit of anger going. I guess Jeremy would call that pre-mad because <laughs> it's, it's a term that is probably apt for how I feel about Illinois football, getting pre-mad, feeling like I know what the outcome is going to be, and then you watch it, and then you are validated. Now, Lovey occasionally has had games that go completely against what you would have expected. The game in Nebraska would not have expected that. I don't think any of us would have. But nonetheless, he got the big win, and I decided that I was going to enter that Iowa game once we knew Ohio State was canceled. I was going to enter that Iowa game saying, you know what, let's go win this thing. I don't like Iowa for one. For another, it seems like Lovey, barring a really bad end of the year, he's probably back. And if that is the case, then I guess I should probably root for him to win. So maybe that gives him a little bit better chance to go out there and recruit some actual people into this program. Well, it didn't happen. As we all remember, 14-0 lead quickly turned into a 35-14 Iowa lead, 35 unanswered points. They schooled you again in year five. They made you look not just mediocre, but they made you look awful. And if you just look at the margin and think, well, we only lost by 14. We got a garbage touchdown. If this is the thought process, and this is me getting pre-mad, if there is anyone over at the B-Felt, and that includes Josh Whitman, that would interpret that game as progress, just because two years ago he lost him at home by 63 to nothing, then they need to lose their jobs for all I'm concerned. And that might be like, whoa, Carp, calm down. We don't need a guillotine just yet, right? Why would you do that? I'm worried, everybody. I'm worried. And it is not any, no evidence behind this. Total gut feeling. I'm worried Lovey's coming back, right? I would think the logical decision is right there for them. You get a donor to pay the small buyout. And then the money that you would have spent on Lovey and his staff next year, well, then you go out and you get yourself a brand new, shiny new staff. And then your budget doesn't really change. And even in this COVID COVID situation, wow, that's an understatement, situation, global pandemic uh, on a scale of which we haven't seen for 100 years, you would think that you could swing that. Athletic programs can swing that because the buyout is low. Kudos to Whitman for at least making sure the buyout did not increase in number. But I have this weird pit in my stomach feeling, just kind of like I did at the end of the Cubit year. When you got rid of Mike Thomas and then Paul Kowalczyk, you're thinking, well, can an interim AD fire Bill Cubitt and move on? He should. He should be able to have that power. And then you didn't. And the feeling that I had, and I'm guessing a lot of you had, in 2015, watching that Illinois Northwestern game, thinking, what? What is this? Where are we going? We're in purgatory. We aren't going anywhere. That would be the same feeling I would feel if you were to tell me Lovey's coming back. And you could say, well, Carport, if they beat Northwestern, that'd be a great win. That would save his job. Do I think it should at this point? No, not really. I've seen enough. Haven't you seen enough? I've seen enough. As a Bears fan, as a Lanai fan, I have more Lovey Smith football experiences than any one person should ever have in their lives. And I've seen this weird reappraisal of Lovey Smith as a Bears coach. And Lanai fans do the same dopey shtick with Ron Zook. Just because the hires afterwards really sucked and you got worse, all of a sudden we look back on the Lovey Smith era with the Bears or Ron Zook era with Illinois with these wide-eyed, orange-colored glasses that all was right in the world. And man, if we could just go back to that. Bears fans, you remember the Lovey Smith era, don't you? You made three playoffs, but two of them were in the first three years. One in the last six. One 
in the last six. And yet there are people that are still saying he shouldn't have been fired. I get why Matt Forte, you know, he was a big lovey guy and one of my favorite Bears. Why he said, hmm, really makes you think, you know, the Bears fire lovey and then they get Mark Trestman and then John Fox and then this crap. Listen, the Bears last decade was worse than the decade before. Lovey Smith had more success than the two guys that came after him. That does not mean that he did not deserve to lose his job when he did. Ron Zook, yes, I guess he did do better than Tim Beckman and Bill Cubitt. And of course, for sure, Lovey Smith. But he deserved to lose his job at the time. The firing and the hiring are separate entities. And just because the hiring was botched does not mean that the firing was without merit. Let's just dispel that narrative <laughs> that the Bears under Lovey Smith, if he would have stayed there another 10 years, it would have been, oh man, you see what the Packers are doing? The Bears would have done that. No, it would have been mediocre. You would have made the playoffs every three or four years, but that's not enough. Not in the NFL. Just like here in college football, even for a dopey program like Illinois, this isn't enough. So imagine waking up after the week nine champions week. What a name. The fact that Illinois might play Missouri, uh, Michigan, talk about champions, probably will have a combined four wins on the year for Champions Week. And let's say you lose that game, which I wouldn't anticipate you would. You're two and six because you lost that game uh, or you didn't play that game to Ohio State, which that would have been another loss. Okay. I think we, we are in agreement on that. Maybe not Dave Wisnowski, who thought that Ohio State was essentially forfeiting the game, but point being, this isn't good enough. Not enough people care. And if you bring Lovey Smith back, you want to see apathy? I thought this year, after making a bowl game, I thought this year that the season ticket sales were not going to be any better because people didn't buy into the freaking Red Box Bowl. Josh Whitman can tweet out all these things about what a miraculous year. I don't know if he said miraculous. He said magical. He called last year a magical season not long after that Northwestern game when they got the Red Box Bowl invite. That is not magical. Six and six is not magical when you lose to Eastern Michigan at home, when you lose to a third-string Northwestern quarterback at home 29-10. to 10. Just because you got a fluke win against Wisconsin and a great comeback, no doubt, against Michigan State. That's not a magical season. It is an okay season with a couple of magical moments. And for someone as good at... You know, as eloquent as he is, I would have hoped for better. And that is why little cues like that. Yes, he's been quiet. This is carp getting pre-mad. I totally admit it. Might sound like I'm doing some histrionics right now, but I'm just saying if they bring Lovey back, can you, oh, we might have to actually put the explicit tag on that next podcast. It would be unconscionable at this point. The guy is a failed college football coach. I said it after the Minnesota game. However many strings of quarterback you were on at that point, we know what this is. It's right on our TV screens, and it has been for the last five years. It has not gotten measurably better. Well, let me rephrase. It's gotten better, but not at the rate that it needs to. And this idea that he inherited nothing. No, he didn't. He inherited a program that won six and then five games, and then promptly won three, two, and four. And he didn't know how to construct a rebuild. So he fires his coordinators after two years and two and a half in the case of Hardy Nickerson. His staff is, I don't know, a bunch of dudes that, what are their credentials compared to other Big Ten assistant coaches? Didn't Josh Whitman give him a huge pool of money to attract top assistant talent? And they aren't coming. But this was the thing that kind of sent me over the edge. There was a coaches clinic, virtual this year, of course. 
Pat Fitzgerald is attending. It's for Illinois. Let me start again for Illinois high school football coaches. Pat Fitzgerald is attending. Mike Loxley is attending. Ron Turner, Ron Zook, and Lou Tepper are attending. Former Illini coaches. Guess who's not? Lovey. And he said, when asked why not, he said, well, you know, we're still in the middle of a season. He should be fired on that alone. Okay? This is what it tells you. He doesn't want to do the work that other Big Ten coaches do, which is, well, yeah, there's a season going on. Guess what? You still need a network. You still need to recruit. You need to build inroads with high school programs, let alone in your own state, when you can't even recruit your own state and you were the freaking Bears head coach. And at least the parents of these kids are going to remember the Bears Super Bowl run in 06. But no, he's too lazy to do it or too arrogant to think that he needs to. Fireable. Leave. Retire. Go to Florida. You don't need the buyout. Just go away at this point. I... The apathy is the apathy after a while turns into genuine frustration because I don't want to feel apathy for the only college football program I can root for. My mom made a a one-liner or a quip that it makes sense logically. Well, just pick another team to root for. Logically, makes sense. Emotionally, you can't do it. You can't just uproot and say, I'm going to root for another team. I know people that have. I don't get it. There's a lot of factors that go into why you root for the team that you do. Usually it has something to do with how you grew up, who you grew up rooting for. And for me, Illinois football, well, there's not a lot of great memories to hang my hat on, but they were just the team I rooted for, and they're going to be the team I root for for the rest of my life. But I'm not rooting for them on Saturday. I'm not. I can't. Because I'm afraid that the long-term ramifications, just like back in 2014, you beat Northwestern, at what cost? Oh, we'll bring uh, Tim Beckman back for another round. What? what? Huh? Okay. And as I sit here in 2020, the prospect of Tim Beckman coming back in 2015 was less scary then than a Lovey coming back in 2021 would be to me now. Lovey coming back next year, that is a scary proposition because there is no mojo anywhere around this program. The fans don't care. Recruits don't care. Big Ten coaches think, whatever, that's an easy one on the schedule. You're going nowhere. You're neutral. And pretty soon when some of this talent leaves and you don't replenish it at the level that you need to, you're just going to suck. This team has had moments of suck this year. Overall, it's been kind of a bad season, right? Not the worst, but pretty bad. And it's only going to get worse. And he is not equipped to make it better. So retire. Come up with some statement, joint statement with you and Josh. Have a press conference where Josh can say, hey, Lovey got us back on the right foot. Whatever you need to do with messaging, but just leave. Please just leave. I <laughs> I can't do another year of Lovey Smith. It is to the point where I wouldn't go to the games. And to be honest, the last few years as they went on, I stopped going into them all that much because I knew what I was going to see. Why not just stay at the tailgate where there's a TV and if I get too pissed off, I can go talk to some friends. That's a lot more fun. So just, yeah, please go. (laughs) I'll show you the door. No hard feelings when you leave. I'm just saying as a Lani fan, I've had enough. As a Bears fan, I've had enough. I don't need more lovey ball. I don't need it. I don't think Illini football needs it either. And I'm worried that the pride that anyone would feel, and maybe in the case of Josh Whitman, the pride that he might feel in that hire and really wanting it to work, that can sometimes supersede one's best judgment. When they know that they should pull the plug, and yet they won't because of emotions. So, Wow. That was a little bit different than Saturday. 
when I didn't quite know what to say about this football program. Now I know. It's moment of clarity, right? Isn't that what they say in AA? A moment of clarity? My moment of clarity. I don't care how it's done. I don't care if it's the buyout or retirement, joint statement thing, good old-fashioned firing, whatever it is, make like a tree. Make like a tree, lovey. Please, please, please go. (sighs) All right, everybody. On that uplifting note, we will be back Saturday. No, not for the football game, but for the real game that matters, the one that Illini fans are going to be tuning into probably five times as many for that game Saturday night, even though it's on the SEC Network alternate. I figured out how to do it on my fire stick, so I'm hooked up. We will do a second half post game for that. The game is at 7. That means we'll get on at 8 and hopefully get the podcast to you about 9.30. And hopefully a celebratory one, because those are a heck of a lot more fun. I tell you what, yesterday, the number of people tuning into that Duke second half pod, well, it sure beat the Baylor one. I'll put it that way, because people want to relive the good moments. And let's hope that Saturday is another one in a long line of good bragging rights moments for Illinois. We still own that series. So let's get it back. Let's get it back. I think they will. I think they will. All right. The 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. I'm on a dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 Cal Zone, $6 premium in construction zones, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So yeah, stay at home. Saturday, you can start drinking at 11 o'clock, right? Football game. Continue all into the evening hours for bragging rights. You don't need to leave the house. They'll bring you calzones. You can get one for lunch and dinner, however many you want. dpdoe.com, coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL or the200LEVEL for 10% off your order just in time for Christmas. You might want to hurry to make sure that you get it in time. But listen, for the Illini fan in your life that is pumped up after that Duke game, that is ready for a big Illini basketball season, so much swag at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. No coupon code there, but you don't need one. State Farm price is great service from someone you can trust. Brian Hansen, State Farm Agent. Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, and for you, the listener, we really appreciate the support. Each week, we're building. Thank you, Alani Basketball, for coming back, because that always seems to do the trick. But we're building. Uh, get the word of mouth out there. Let the Alani fan in your life know about the podcast. Rate and review us at Apple Podcast or wherever you may listen to us. That helps us out as well. And thank you for your support. It really means a lot. All right, everybody. I'm going to get out of here. We'll see you Saturday night. I'll be wearing my lucky shirt. Let's get it done against Missouri, huh? It is the 200 level.